Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Can I Be Funny? I'm JQ. On this week's episode, we've got the wonderful Fern Brady. We covered loads of topics, but the most interesting to me was the BBC Three pilot. So there's loads of good stuff in there. So uh, on with the show. Fern. Hello. Welcome. Hiya. <laughs> I can never start a podcast properly. Oh, right. There's I'm always not that weird. conscious about talking in a microphone. But that's what you do for a living. No, I said I'm not self Oh, you're not? I thought you said you were. I'm that's fine. a bit frustrating. That's why I'm so relaxed. <laughs> um, so thank you for coming in. Is it, have you had a busy day so far? Um, no, I, I haven't. I just um, was trying to book previews in and then ah. I was exercising and working on my body for the French. Because so. I always have a notion that I'm going to look amazing by the time I get to Edinburgh. <laughs> and then I just stay the same depressing level of not quite obese, but not... <laughs> Fair enough to be on telly a lot. <laughs> you look fine. Um, so I I met you properly for the first time last week when you're doing your preview at yeah. Jester Jester's, which I enjoyed, oh, but nice. there was issues with audience members. Was there? I thought there was issues with my preview being terrible and not I hadn't written it properly. No, they remember that. Um, oh, that guy. Yeah, there was a heckler who heckled. Heckler. But he was heckling really new comics, and then he was quiet when I was on. Oh, he got up and said something near the end. Did he? Yeah. What did he say? I don't know. It wasn't... I, I, oh, I did see him walking. To be fair, I talked about panning his face in yeah. with a mic stand from the off. Yeah, he got up and said something. I did, didn't hear clearly what he said. It didn't sound Oh, no, positive. he was... Oh, no, no. Yeah, I remember seeing him walk out, but he didn't pipe up. No, he's... I mean... Uh, I felt like I'd won. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, he was fine with me as well. Because yeah. I wanted him out of the room. Yeah. I, didn't want him there I was quite surprised all. he came back. But it was just the fact he was doing it to new, the brand new act. I just don't think he had any clue what he was doing really, did he? Yeah, he thought he was help. I used to heckle people loads before yeah. I was a... Yeah, because I thought people would love it. <laughs> <laughs> I used to sit in the front row at the stand uh, in Edinburgh and just... I just thought that people would love if I replied to them. <laughs> and now you've seen the error of your ways. Yeah, it makes me sympathetic to that type of heckler. I think the worst heckle is people just sitting with their arms folded looking disgusted. <laughs> yeah, that's, not, when that's you, worse. When you look down and they're just not smiling or anything, you're just yeah. like, oh, what have I done wrong? Or what, uh, when I did uh one of the rounds of so you think you're funny a guy fell asleep in the front row <laughs> <laughs> in fact a couple of times people have fallen asleep that's the worst wow I'm not, I, no i've not had that yet i'm sure it'll come <laughs> yeah it happens more at the fringe because yeah, people, people are, are so hot <laughs> yeah it's hot and tired um well, that's what i'm telling myself so let's go back to the start Oh yeah. I heard I read somewhere that you were working at a newspaper and someone dared you or you had to write an article about I was working I wanted to be a journalist and then I was doing work experience at various newspapers and comedy magazines during the fringe and then this magazine was like, Oh, you should go and try stand up and write an article about it and I didn't know at the time that that's one of the hackiest is Other it? than saying, are women funny? Have you heard the one about female comedians not mm. being funny? Yeah. Uh, th- th- this is a bit like loads of journalists have done this article. Um, but I didn't know that. So I did that and I went on at Old Rope. And I didn't know. But... In Greenwich? 
No, no, um, sorry, it was at the Fringe. They a used, Fringe, right, yeah. They used to run old rope at the Fringe. Ah, okay. And um, I didn't know at the time, but the people running the gig were outside telling, they were getting the flyers to say, this female journalist's going to try stand-up and she's going to be shit. Oh. And uh, wow. just setting it up to fail. Yeah. Uh, I remember who was on the bill. Uh, uh, Reese Darby from Flight of the Concords. Chris Martin and Alistair Barry. That's some good, they're pretty good, aren't they? Yeah, so that was my first gig. And I, I probably I was rubbish, but then afterwards I knew I wanted to do comedy. Um, But my boyfriend at the time was like, I really don't think you should do it again. Because I'd got myself in such a state. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. And maybe thought I was shit <laughs> as well. <laughs> um... But yeah, no one was really like, none of my friends were like, oh, you should do comedy or my family or that. I've yeah. had exactly the same experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not writing for newspaper, but no one's saying, oh yeah, you should go yeah. do comedy. Oh, actually, one of my posh uni friends who I think is a, he's like a big sports columnist for the Telegraph now. Ah. He, he told me I should do it, but everyone else was just kind of a dick about it. My parents were dicks about it. Now they're all like, my mum's like, oh, I knew this was what you were going to go into. But in the beginning, everyone's just a dick about it. Yeah. And like, Because I had quite good opportunities in journalism. I did. I got a scholarship um, after I left uni to go and train as a news reporter. Oh, yeah. It was like this 10 grand thing. You have to go through all these different stages of interviews and stuff. Yeah. And I left the training with two months to go because <gasps> they wanted me to stop doing this much stand up. Uh, but then if you knew that's what you wanted to do I did but there was, there was quite a lot of points like if I died at a gig or just yeah. points where comedy was bad where I would feel really upset that I'd left yeah. <laughs> a proper career <laughs> um, and like my parents my dad especially was really this sort of discouraging did they see any of your early stuff? Uh, my mum did She, but my mum doesn't have my dad's really funny, but my mum's got an awful sense of humour um, and it's definitely not the same as mine. So my mum saw me do a gig early on and afterwards she was like, you're my daughter, but in a sort of horrified way. <laughs> <laughs> and then my dad didn't see me until I was on 8 out of 10 cats. So <laughs> yeah. by that point I'd been doing comedy for three or four years, maybe four years. And my dad didn't tell anyone at his work. He had people from his work phoning up to say that I was on. And they were like, why did you not mention your daughter was on TV? And he just was like, I didn't think to mention it. Weird. Yeah, I never got any um, encouragement when I was younger to do anything, like go to university or get jobs, you know. But that would be that what makes you want to do stand-up. People... Like, comedians tend to have the same type of parents over and over again. You've got... Uh, either an emotionally or physically distant father. I think I read this because Beth Black posted this on a charto forum years ago and it really stuck in my head because it's so true. So this is a typical comedy parent. Distant father uh, and then a neurotic mother, often with some form of mental illness. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Loads of male comedians have dead mums. Loads of female comedians, their dads, like, weren't there when they were growing up. 
quite a lot of comedians were adopted. Like, I wonder how many people are listening now, sort of ticking these boxes. Yeah, yeah. I got that. I got that. <laughs> uh, I'd say more comedians than than like out of the average population, more comedians than normal have like a sibling that was like disabled or something. Really? Yeah, I just keep <laughs> noticing this. Um, uh, I mean, the adoption things—that's quite obvious because they they never fill the the hole <laughs> inside mm. them. Yeah, <laughs> I just had really pushy parents. But pushy um, in the wrong direction. Yeah, like my dad wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer, even though I expressed no interest yeah. in either of these things. <laughs> doctor or a lawyer. Yeah, and my mum really wanted me to be a forensic pathologist. <laughs> That's quite a cool job, though. Uh, but I never no, if you're not got any at all. <laughs> I really think you should be Quincy. Uh, she honestly, <laughs> she mentioned it at least four times when I was growing up. Uh, she was, I'd be like, oh, I think I want to be a writer. And she was like, or a forensic <laughs> pathologist. They do writing, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was really odd. <laughs> yeah, my, my parents weren't anti, they just never encouraged Are they both anything. alive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they just didn't want me they just wanted me just to get a normal job yeah just, just get a job that was all they wanted not, <laughs> not do what you want to do but i'm here now so it's fine um is your mum neurotic or no. can you she reads the daily mail yeah oh yeah we were talking about this mm. last week yeah so does my mum <laughs> um i'm frightened to say my mum's neurotic in case she listens to this and then phones me to shout at me but that's that makes you sound neurotic <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so after that first gig after my first gig it was just a, it was a short while before my dizzying time to success <laughs> no well people always spin it that way even though it's because you, you get rid of all the bad bits when you, or you when you it's like yeah at all time it's just compressed isn't it yeah because most I, of the time you're not doing anything interesting someone done an interview with me after the fringe where they said how I felt like I'd taken or how my rise to doing comedy as a like full time had been longer than others. But it wasn't because I, I started doing it full time three years in, which yeah. is quite good. But it's yeah. just that I think in, a lot of the time comedians write in their bios, oh, they've had a they've shot up the yeah. <laughs> career ladder in comedy. <laughs> But it tends to be, I'd say most people, it tends to be a, between three and six years. Yeah, because I've been doing it three years. Like, there's no way I could get Yeah. Any but then I'm, how, after that first gig, how long was it before you did your next one? Can you remember? Oh, um, the so the one I did for the magazine, yeah, I yeah. didn't gig again. That was in 2009. Right. And I didn't do anything again until May 2010. But were you thinking about it in the meantime? Yeah, the whole time yeah. I was, as soon as I did my first gig, I knew I wanted to do it. But obviously I had my boyfriend at the time saying, no, you shouldn't do it. Mm. And, um, was that, never... that was more concern for your well-being rather than I mm, don't think you should do it. I don't know. Cause, yeah. uh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe. Well, it's not very attractive for women to do comedy, so... Uh, and we split up not long after that, so probably that was the start of him finding me repulsive. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> <was> his loss. <laughs> yeah. Um, he went on to work for the Daily Mail, actually. Oh, really? So, what a dick. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. Um, 
uh yes well officially uh i start date was may 2010 yeah in my mind and then after that i didn't stop gigging i didn't have any breaks from comedy so how how often were you doing it it, this is in edinburgh um so i was i was still in i just graduated in may 2010 and then i was in edinburgh for the summer and then i moved to sheffield to do my journalism training Ah, in september so pretty much I only had a few months of doing comedy in Edinburgh and then I was in Sheffield and I was going back and forth to Manchester and then after nine months of Sheffield I moved to Manchester because I'd quit my journalism course and then I met a guy at a gong show in Manchester who worked in a sex shop during the day okay. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he did a job so I got a job um helping manage the sex shop (laughs) (laughs) and uh that was amazing (laughs) that was a really great job (laughs) why was it why was it so good just the crazy people just because like having to do the stock orders (laughs) like on my first day i had to order anal douches because we'd run out of them (laughs) and i was just laughing down the phone the whole time oh yeah it must Um, be really just (laughs) in the cold light of day just yeah 17 dildos yeah six large oh it was great and you had to read out the name of the pornos you were selling to people and write them in a book so i remember writing down like satan's whore that's eight pounds the kinky wrinkly that's ten pounds and then i just burst out laughing in this guy's face and he just fled to the shop after paying um and there was a tattoo shop opposite my porno shop and they said that they could hear me laughing from across the road <laughs> and the number of like heterosexual looking guys that would come in like mancunian builders would come in and just that they would quickly look at the straight porn and then make a beeline for like brazilian <laughs> tranny porn really yeah it was mad you said in your um set last week oh this must be loads of stuff for your comedy material but was it what was was using the sex shop as material for your early stuff no i didn't no um or maybe i did no i did meet um sometimes you can't do material and stuff like that because um oh no i did use it as material (laughs) no sorry i did i kept taking things from the shop uh like yeah to use in shows (laughs) And um, the guy, there was this comedian called Dave Longley that I really loved um, that I would go and see at the stand whenever he was performing in Edinburgh. And uh, he's ended up being like my comedy mentor. Ah. And he wrote for me on Cats and then he helped me with my Edinburgh show as well. Yeah. Uh, but I met him when I was working in the sex shop. He needed was a he big... A customer? No, <laughs> he was running this night at the Frog and Bucket called the Dunning Kruger Effect, and he needed a big um, rubber vagina, um, like it had legs. It had like legs attached to it. Can you remember the model number? <laughs> no, it was, but it was a like a flashlight, but it was really With legs. Yeah, it had like the tops of the thighs, <laughs> and um, it was really heavy. <laughs> So someone said, oh, this new comedian, Fern, works in a sex shop. You should go and see her. So he came in to see me and I, I gave him a 
What a way to meet your mentor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd kind of met him before that, but then they, they asked me to join in on this night at the Frog. Yeah. And thus, a long friendship was born. <laughs> Did you know he was coming into the shop? Yeah, someone said, oh, right. Fern can sell you this big rubber vagina. He didn't just sort of turn up and be like, oh, hang on, I didn't know this about <laughs> No. <him." laughs> so, yeah. Um, but I didn't work in the sex shop for long. I wish I had, because it was really good. I ended up getting a job at ITV, doing the clearance for music. Yeah, I've written out many, many clearance forms. That's so dull, isn't it? Such a bad job. It really made me hate people that work in TV. Well, well, well welcome to my TV studio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, cause that was the first time I met people that care passionately about totally meaningless programs. Uh-huh. Like, like um, what's that stupid program? You've Been Framed? That was one of the shows. <clears throat> I did clearance for and Jeremy Kyle he's Ooh. evil yeah can you, or you probably can't say that on the thing you can say what you like on here it's freedom of speech you maybe could on a comedy podcast yeah. eh? I don't think you can libel someone but you can say you don't like them uh, well I don't like Jeremy Kyle and he was a small yellow man <laughs> <laughs> he looked he'd had a lot of plastic surgery at the time <laughs> um, allegedly Allegedly, he'd allegedly just had his eye bags lifted because he uh, was doing the American version of Jeremy Kyle. Uh, and he allegedly was having an affair with Graham the counsellor. <laughs> allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> the solicitors have been informed and we're fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how so, often do you say you were gigging when you was in Manchester? Like, was it uh, twice like three a night? Or, three time? or four times a week. Yeah, see, that's what I, I don't do it enough. Yeah. Because of family life or whatnot. I can't, yeah. I can't do that much. So I've been trying to double up. But it's hard trying to just get the stage time under your belt. Yeah. Do you think it was easier up in... Because in London yeah. there's so many comedians doing so many open mic nights. The open mic nights here are quite terrible. Yeah, some of them can be, yeah. I mean, uh, whereas in Manchester... Like, I really would, I think the Manchester circuit feels like my home circuit because yeah. um, not everyone, but a lot of people in on the Scottish circuit are really better. Really? And yeah, like, I would say so. Um, whereas as soon as I got to Manchester, people were offering for me to stay on their couches. Like, I moved into the spare room of, um, you know, Gaines Family Gift Shop? Yes, yeah. Well, Kerry and Jim... From that, I went and stayed in there. That was where, who I lived with most of the time. I was in Manchester. And um, they would just help get me gigs. Loads of people helped get me gigs. And like one of the first gigs I did when I moved down to the north of England was... I was on a... Like, you're on a pro lineup, and you'll be doing the 10 spot. And the other acts were Gary Delaney and Chris Ramsey. And I think... Tony Law. So you're on these great lineups. Yeah. But that that's the standard <coughs> thing in the north of England is you'll do the open spot on a pro uh, lineup. Yeah, so don't, I very rarely get to do that then. I've been on after Tony Law and died on my ass. Yeah. yeah. Oh, like I was dying as well. But <laughs> at least you're around pro comics yep. that'll give you advice and yeah. stuff. I think that's the, the only gig close to that down here would be Angel Comedy. I mean, that's a nice gig, but yeah. 
yeah, that's really depressing. I don't, I don't know how people... I can see why the circuit down here is good in another way, because I think I got better from living in London, yeah. because there's a lot more freedom to fail, whereas in Manchester, we would all go to the Frog and Bucket every Monday to do the gong show. Yeah. And um, I think gong shows are really good when you're new, but other people slag them off. Whereas my first gig was Comedy Store Gong Show. Oh, well, the Beat the Frog's nicer than the yeah. Comedy <laughs> Store. Um, quite a bit nicer, I think. Is Beat the Frog when it's on a Monday or is it Sunday? Mondays. Mondays. And they used to have a Preston one um, that was on a Wednesday and it was just great. It was like yeah. the nicest gig. So yeah, we would go every Monday, but I get quite self-conscious. I've got a bad thing of worrying what other comedians will think about me. But you have to just not give a shit what yeah. people think. Is that because you kept seeing the same people? Well, it would be the because Manchester's a much smaller circuit. Yeah. It would be the same people yeah. every Monday. Yeah, because I, I keep getting peaks and troughs. And recently it's like, oh, everyone's heard this before. Yeah. But you got to make what you've got funnier. And the only way you can do that is just keep repeating the same thing and tighten it up. Yeah, well, for me, trying to do my Edinburgh show, I now have to... It's like throwing shit at a wall and just <laughs> saying anything yeah. and trying to get past embarrassing stuff. Yeah. Have you, um, are you doing it the same way you did it for the previous year's show? No. How did you prepare for the last one? Well, the last one, um, I didn't I didn't take my club 20 and then add 40 onto yeah. that because I was sick of a lot of my club stuff. And also... Um, because my show slot was 12pm. I didn't want it to be oh, too rude. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think in the October... Yeah, October... Like, preceding my first Edinburgh show, I did two radio things. One for Radio 4 and one for BBC Scotland. And I I used this, the material from that. Ah, and okay. Is this everyone stupid? Well, everyone's an idiot. People are idiots. People are idiots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've read it. Don't look at my search issue because it looks like I'm some sort of weird stalker. No, that's all right. So I had a story about my parents one time pretended I was getting arrested for taking drugs uh, because I hadn't been practicing piano enough. So they, <laughs> okay. they thought I was on drugs. So I'd used that's that. That's quite a leap. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're nuts. Um, yeah, they're, they're just nuts. Um, so I'd used that story in a radio thing and then because it was all clean I was like I mean I don't really give a shit about I think if people are going to come and see my show they should look up what comedy I do beforehand yeah. but I kind of just wanted to prove that I could do clean material Yeah. but anyway this year I'm way behind in preparation for the show because you, cause it's a whole new hour yeah and um, yet have you got like a so the people are idiots you've got you've got a core theme yeah the theme this year i think is why wasn't i invited to the female comedians oh, brunch yeah, yeah yeah have you figured it out yet no the whole show is gonna be <laughs> me trying to figure it out but then you can't because it'll link back to different things i'm worried about yeah it's quite you, a broad theme Sorry. what happens if you then get invited to it um I don't know. I don't, <laughs> to be honest, I don't think I will, <laughs> given that I'm doing the show about it. Yeah, I, I keep wanting to cancel this year's show. 
Um, but you, you know, you've been through it before. You must know that you'll get through it. No, it just feels the same as last year. Yeah. But last year was a success. It sold out. It sold out, but that doesn't mean that it was a show. It doesn't mean that the show was, like, great. It must have been if you sold it out. Well, it sold out because once there's a buzz going about another, about a certain comedian, people uh, just jump on the bandwagon. So, because um, I'd seen it happen before with comedians that I thought were shit. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I'm fine saying it about myself. Once everyone's buzzing about a show, yeah, they all go and see it. Like, my favourite show last year was um, Seymour Mace did a show at Stand 2 called yep. Niche as Fuck. And it was only once the nominations got came out and Seymour was nominated that his room was packed out. Ah. The other days he was he came in my show and he was he was like, oh, I couldn't get into your show today because it was sold out. Yeah, and people aren't in my show. And <laughs> Seymour's like funnier, and has been going a lot longer. So it's a different. Um, it's just a different person, isn't it? You can't. Yeah, but because it was my debut show, yeah. and because I'm still quite young and <clears throat> and because i just had a sitcom pilot come out those are all reasons why but um does it feel good having the buzz no because then people put up statuses like oh so-and-so's show's getting recommended in this list and it's all because of pr and i was like fuck off man i didn't have pr <laughs> i didn't even have an agent but um i'm worried that this year i'll have a bad show as a punishment I think it'll be fine. Um, well, the tickets are selling well already. Exactly. I check my ticket sales <laughs> about three times a day. So you can already buy tickets for Edinburgh? Yeah. Because like, I've, I've only ever gone up there and just gone on ad hoc and just seen bits of bobs. Yeah, I'd never buy tickets in it. Would you ever buy a ticket because you got flyers? Because I wouldn't. Ever. Well, being a comedian as well, it doesn't have the same effects on me because I'm not a punter. Yeah. So... I don't want people to come to my show because they got a flyer either. I want them to come because they really want to come to so the show. So you're not going to do any flyering? Well, I didn't last year. Well, they don't need to then, do you? If it well, plus, the flyers were like, the process of recruiting them was like, they, I was like, oh, it would be good if you liked my comedy a little bit, yeah. which is maybe asking a bit much. And someone said, Oh, I've not seen your comedy, but my auntie really likes it. <laughs> and I was like, get your auntie a flyer for me then. That'd be great, yeah. <laughs> Especially for someone like Aunt May from Spider-Man. Yeah. My little cousin want, asked to flyer for me because she was a flyer for the Pleasants. Okay. But I don't want to have to sack my own cousin. <laughs> <laughs> you were rubbish. You never <laughs> yeah. dark on my doorstep again. I'll see you at the family Christmas party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yes, you mentioned pilots. Oh yeah, yeah I, don't... I I watched it. I did. I did watch oh, the first God. minute of it months ago. I can't remember why. Oh. I can't remember what ra- rabbit hole I went down. But I watched it again last week. It was really good. Oh, thanks. I was. I was because I found recently with comedy in the last few years, it's either really good or it's really rubbish. There's never. There's yeah. never like a grey area in between. But I, I lolled uh, quite a few times while I was sitting here oh, watching it. Oh, thanks. I <laughs> guess because it took so long to make. And because I have quite a fixed idea of how I want things to be, I can mm. just see every bit where it's... I can see every bit where it's been meddled with. And, ah. But um, 
that's not. I mean, the the cast for it were great, and I yeah, thought, I thought they were really good. And the, the oh, main woman, so good. I can't remember. Was she in something to do with? Oh, Sarah, that was in it. Yeah. she was in Miranda. Yeah, yeah, she oh, was really good. Sarah's. She's been in like so many, so many different comedy things. Yeah, and I had to have a famous person in it. This isn't coming from me. Yeah, this yeah, from yeah. the BBC. Yeah. So uh, you get given like basically lists of pre-approved BBC people. <laughs> um, I mean, it's not going to series in the UK now, so I can say this if I want. Yeah. Um, but it was really good. Uh, the one that got me first was uh, "Sorry, I punched you in the tits, Mum." That one. Oh, that was yeah. changed. I had to write that joke after the original joke was cut out because they pretty heavily implied it was racist now <laughs> right <laughs> no my family more is someone who let matt lucas a privately educated person be in blackface for uh, that program yes. little britain yeah um and i used uh the p word in a sentence p word in a j- oh sorry yeah um pack packy oh, okay uh, i had it open i had a therapy seen open with someone saying and that's why I batter Pakis and then she said sorry that's why I batter Pakistanis so the point of that joke is that she takes a look at the therapist and says sorry yeah. that's why I batter Pakistanis and the whole point of the joke um, is like you can censor people's language and get them to say the right thing but it doesn't change the sentiment that that character's a racist and a mental yes. case yeah Okay, so, um, but because I have this accent, and Frankie Boyle's talked about this, if you don't have a, a RP accent, and especially if you have, like, a Scottish working class accent, people just assume that you're a bigot. Mm. And um, my script editor, uh, Jono from Sheeps, he's, like, a Cambridge Footlights guy. He was amazing. Me and him both kept that joke in and kept it in, and we got it through so many different stages yeah and then at the last minute she took it out and it wouldn't have bothered me if it was if it hadn't been someone who'd let a middle class person have blackface in their program yeah it's just the hypocrisy and you know um the same joke turned up in series three of orange is the new black someone said not that i'm saying orange is the new black (laughs) is taking my jokes um orange is the new black had a joke where um one of the crackheads said, only Negroes smoke crack. And she said, sorry, only African-Americans smoke crack. So I was like, maybe I should go to America where they understand nuanced yeah. fucking jokes. So everyone's so paranoid, aren't they? Yeah, um, but I'm not. Like, uh, like, so many people at the BBC are desperately falling over themselves to show how not racist they are. But, I mean... Maybe they could employ more black people as producers instead of just... The only black people I see at the BBC building are working on the reception desk or cleaning the toilets. Yeah, I've been to a few companies where that, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I had a joke cut out so they could feel better about themselves. Well, the joke that was in there worked, so... Mm. Yeah, people say it's sometimes it's good when you have jokes cut out because it forces you to be more creative. Is it better? Is it worse? It was just as funny, so... Yeah. Um, I mean, I did put that the the original one in because at that point I was just trying to see how far I could push it. Yeah. With the BBC. 
But they, they they tried to they didn't want it to even be in a mental unit, even though it was about something that had happened to me. Isn't that? Yeah, we just want to change the entire premise of the situation. Yeah, it's mad. But it got. I can't remember if I said like when I saw you last week. It got. Uh, it's getting developed in America now. No, no, is that? Yeah, yeah. Ah. It got. Um, so you do you, when you do a pilot for the BBC, do you own the script? Is it yours, or have you given it to them? No, um, so say I'd done it through, um, say I'd had it made through a production company like Baby Cow. Yeah. A lot of times that would mean Baby Cow would then own all of the characters and stuff. And then January, it was, yeah, January this year that Americans started randomly getting in touch with me to, to make an American version. They were like, oh, do you own the rights to everything? And I was like, yeah, I've got this weird contract where I I own everything. And they were like, oh, we'll double check it. And they sort of triple checked it through the BBC's business affairs. And they were like, yeah, you've got a good deal. So it means that if it goes to a pilot in America, you get money for being the exec producer, the creator. You get a pilot consultant fee. Writer, uh, I don't think they'll have me writing on it. I'll only be allowed to write on my own show <laughs> if I <laughs> if I prove myself. But so I might be allowed to write on some episodes. It's, it's really it's a weird situation, isn't it? I've never. It's really fucked it. up because the whole reason that the well, not the whole reason. Obviously, we had good actors yeah, yeah. and a good script editor, and Henry Packer did some joke writing towards the end of the yep. judges um but yeah it's a bit insulting it's like none of this would exist if it wasn't for you yeah <laughs> initially they didn't want me involved at all and then i sent them episode outlines um and now they do want me more involved in it it's so strange yeah you, we like what you've done we don't we don't really want you yeah yeah it's weird it's so strange um but now i think about it i don't don't want to slag them off on the off channel, <laughs> but no, I, I mean BBC. It's BBC Worldwide that bought mm. it, and they they have been really cool. So, what, how did you get involved with the BBC? Because it's it feels more like an E four kind of show. Yeah, someone else said yeah. that. Um, pretty much everything I got. The only reason I got anything ever in comedy was because I wrote some Guardian articles while I was on the dole. Yeah. Uh, they weren't funny. Um, I just wrote them because I was, I was just having such a bad time in comedy. Like I'd just been reviewed badly by Steve Bennett and Bruce Dessau on the same night, and they were both saying that I was just terrible. And then about a month later, I was in the final of that Hackney Empire thing. Mm. And it was a really good gig, and Steve Bennett was just like, "Oh, I hate Fern Brady. Why is she always in?" finals of things <laughs> like because he, other people like her and you're an idiot <laughs> he did he didn't say that exactly but yeah. pretty much I, I just felt like i was like i just felt like everyone wanted me to quit stand up and then at the final of the competition people from off the curb saw me and they got me to come down from the north to do a gig for them and i then died horrifically <laughs> And they didn't want me anymore. <laughs> so just everything was going wrong at once. Yep. Then I had to go up against my boyfriend for the same job. 
and he was just my new boyfriend at the time and then he got the job to be fair we he works in social policy now and it was a policy job right. and and i'm a comedian so <laughs> he deserved the job but just everything was going wrong at yeah. once so i wrote these guardian articles to cheer myself up and then just bizarrely um tommy from the stand read them and put me forward for the for Stuart Lee's show yeah loads of people think that I got an agent and my agent got me stuff but my agent just took me on because I had a TV thing coming up yeah so I just want to stress to any new comedians (laughs) that agents don't get don't get you stuff um what was the original question uh did you want a cup of tea or coffee (laughs) (laughs) how did i get the pilot oh so then yes so i got an agent yeah and then my agent was done this showcase called the lunchtime special yeah i did that and the producer called sam bryant came along to see me and uh poor sam probably now regrets ever doing that because he was the producer at raj's and i was just like a nightmare to work with um, so yeah, Sam got me a come in for a meeting and was like, oh, we really want you to make a pilot. Is that like a standard thing or was it? Oh just... no, he, he was like, is there anything you that you're writing? Mm. And I thought he meant for Radio 4 and I was like, no, I, I hate radio comedy. It's not funny. And then he was like, oh no, we, we thought maybe for TV. And I'd already been writing what was the Raj's script yeah just for something just for fun yeah um so I was like oh here's a sample ah. of it and he was like oh we really like it so um after four months of meetings they gave me a bit of money to do a treatment and then after that I got like better a lot of money to do to write a script yeah um, but it all took two years, and it shouldn't really take that long. Yeah, yeah. Because when I watched it, I thought, yeah, this this has got quite a fairly big amount of money behind it just to physically make it. They spent the most on my pilot. Yeah, yeah. Because of all the different setups, the camera they used, um, I could only see two dodgy edits in it. Really? Yeah. It was really beautifully. Um, I thought the color of it. Was yeah, it's really good. Really nice. But yeah, they spent the absolute most on it because they had to because it was dragged out for two years and they did so many rewrites. They had to keep paying me, and then although not enough, and then uh, it's never enough in telly, is it? The money was really bad. Like. <laughs> um, like I don't get how in America the money is so good. It's because they got ten, ten times the audience. Yeah, I was really surprised that. Like random American people watched it. Like the 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 pilot episode of Lost, it was over it's over a million or fourteen million or something. Bloody hell! Mad on a show that may or may not work. But they've got they've just got the audience there that can just yeah. That was two thousand and four as well, so it's slightly different now. Yeah. Because of Netflix and everything else. Um, I always used to watch the BBC pilots and slag them off on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> And now the tables have turned. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I still think they're crap. Like, yeah. I think the way it's done is crap. And I mean, I didn't get on with the director. 
Yeah, I've, I've, I've had a few directors in here that you're just like, why? why do you, you just don't care about the product. Just leave it to us and we'll make it. Well, mine's thought he was a comedian. Yeah. He, he came from a horror film background and he was trying to change jokes and... To, and obviously, if you're in a stand-up, you're in control of everything you do all the yeah. time. Yeah. Um, so to have this guy come in and tell me what to do, and then they're telling me how my lesbian character should... Be. I'm a bisexual, right? Which I feel embarrassed about saying. <laughs> I'm a proper one. I'm not bisexual from the tits up, <laughs> like a real one. And I had two heterosexual men telling me how the lesbian character right, yeah. should be in my pilot and what she should dress like and I'd I'd tell the costume lady what I, what I wanted the girl the actress to wear yeah and then he'd go behind my back and change it and mm. give her a different fucking gilet to wear or yeah. whatever he's never gonna listen to this so it'll be fine but they're um I just got nominated for a RTS thing and um the the boss of comedy at BBC Scotland was like do you think you can go with the director to the ceremony. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. It wasn't a BBC Scotland thing, though, was it? It was... It was BBC Scot... Oh, it's, it's confusing. So it was BBC Three. Yeah. But BBC Scotland, it comes out of, like, a BBC Scotland budget. Ah, uh, because when I looked, saw the title card at the end, I thought, oh, I assumed it would have been BBC Scotland, but it wasn't. Uh, I never really understand it. So the boss of BBC Scotland was the exec producer on it right. or the boss of comedy there yeah but sam works at bbc3 sorry right. sam the producer yeah um is it an experience you'd want to repeat no <laughs> what about with a different broadcaster well no i would want to repeat it but only have an ex i mean i think i'd be a lot better because because bear in mind i'd never done a script before this yeah. or made a program so it was like a crash course on how something's filmed and yeah it's it's a lot different to what you think it's going to be isn't it yeah i mean it was some aspects of it were really amazing like uh i was there for all the rehearsals with the cast and that was good i really enjoyed casting it that was a bit like the x factor yeah um, but been, um, yeah, I've been in casting sessions, and you just like you, you know straight away as soon as they walk in who's going to work. Yeah, and yeah. The guy I had for Fat Sean, which we had to change to Fat Shane for legal reasons. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he was my first choice. Yeah. And I had to like really fight for him. He was good. Then all the all the girls in it. Uh, we wanted. I wanted them all in it, but I was just kind of swapping them about. Oh, okay. But I, I saw a lot of other actresses that I wanted in it, and there just wasn't enough. There just weren't enough parts. Yeah. Because we saw like 90 girls. And yourself was in it as well. Oh, yeah, I was in it. <laughs> die, die, die. <laughs> yeah. But initially, they wanted me to be in it playing a 16 year old, yeah. which would have just been. A little bit strange. Yeah. The BBC are really keen to make pilots where a comedian plays themselves and plays themselves in their current life yeah but i didn't want to make a pilot about me and my boyfriend arguing over what to watch on netflix <laughs> i'd rather make one about when i was in a mental unit <laughs> so i just wish the bbc would stop doing that because no one I, I mean imagine if someone tried to make father ted now through the bbc's pilot scheme i don't think it'd fly would it no that's one of the best comedies ever. Yeah. They're working on a new one. Um, Graham Lynham and uh, Adam Buxton are doing a new 
mischievous. He's just so. I just I love the way he formats all this. Um, stuff. I love. Know what my favourite sitcom was? Other than that, was uh, Pulling. I never watched that one. It's great, but I find it. Do you, a lot of people in telly now are jizzing themselves over Catastrophe, and I love Catastrophe. Fuck yeah! You don't man. like it? No, I love Sharon Horgan. Mm. Just couldn't. Why don't? What don't you like about it? I didn't find it that funny. <laughs> Compared it, to Pulling, which is unbelievably has funny. Has it got her in it as well? Yeah, Sharon Horgan was in Pulling. Okay. And it, she co-wrote it with a playwright called Dennis Kelly. Yeah. Who I think went on to write Utopia, which I haven't seen. Maybe it's because I'm older than you. And I'm more in that situation. How old are you? I'm 30 this month. I, I thought you were about 26. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm 36. Well, then, well, I regret saying my real age. <laughs> 26. 26. Um, yeah, because that's more in tune with my life. Catastrophe. Catastrophe, yeah. Well, pulling was about women in their thirty. Like, I don't think I need to watch stuff that's close to my life to enjoy it. Like, no, no, uh, it's just it just resonated with me. Some of the stuff they said is stuff that happens to me. Right. Yeah. Obviously, I used to love Red Dwarf, but I've never been on a space station. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, pulling was about three women in their thirties. When I liked it, I was 23. <laughs> so and was... they live in London and they all have um, crap jobs. But I'm not, I mean, when I describe it that way, it's not describing it very well. It's yeah. very, very dark. Is it? Yeah. So was it out in... Well, it was years 2009, ago. 2009, was it? Um, even earlier, maybe 2007. Yeah. But, um, Probably just missed it. Yeah, yeah, it was great. But I haven't been into anything Sharon Horgan has done since then. I actually really liked her documentaries. Which what did she do? Um, she did a series of documentaries about being a. She did one about being a mum. Right. And I don't have any interest in children or that, but it was good. <laughs> her production company wouldn't come to my show at the Fringe, so I don't really feel bad about saying I didn't. Here's the real reason. <laughs> No, I just didn't enjoy Catastrophe. I don't know why everyone likes no, it's it. It's fine, it's fine. Uh, I, I, there's other levels, reasons why I like it. It's just, it's well shot. Yeah. So it looks really nice. Yeah. Like, annoyingly, how do they make it look so nice, kind of? My favourite sitcom now is Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I've heard good things, yeah. I need to, it's on Netflix, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I didn't think I would like it. Um... But the writing on it is so... Because I never watched 30 Rock. Yeah. Uh, but the writing on Kimmy Schmidt is unreal. You know how in Friends they would have a joke every seven seconds or yeah. something? That That's how often the jokes are in that. And really? Yeah, and they're just so funny. Uh, and the premise is great. It's about these women that have left an underground cult. Uh, it is yeah, really okay, obviously yeah. based on... Uh, you know that guy that kept the women underground? Yeah. Schnitzel, Fritzel. Not Fritzel, but the American guy. Well, I think he was Hispanic. Oh, yes. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Amanda, what was that her name? Mm. The girl the story, phoned yeah. up yeah. one day and was like, help, I've just escaped this bunker. That's pretty much what Kimmy Schmidt is based uh, on, I think. Yeah, so going back to writing, when yeah. you watch a sitcom, when I watch something, I can see the editing. I can see 
why they've used certain takes or angles or whatever. I don't ever think about the writing. Do you listen to what they're saying and think, why have they written it that way? I do a lot more now. I'd be less quick to slag off a sitcom now, having done one myself and found out how hard it is. Um, But yeah, I look at the writing and I do... I look at stuff like costume choices a lot more and um, I found it really interesting looking at the set design and the costume stuff for Raj's. I tried to be involved in absolutely every aspect of it just to learn about it. The only thing I'd say about Raj's is when you see the characters talking to each other and they're talking about another character who's in the same room, they seem very close. Yeah. So look, well, she can obviously overhear what yeah, they're saying. Like, that was the only thing I sort of thought was a bit strange. Yeah. I thought it was strange that they dressed Lois, uh, the main girl in it. Does wasn't her name in it. Mab. Yeah, they dressed her as like um hooker, pretty much. <laughs> a lot of the time I was like, <laughs> that wasn't my choice. And they also, they made her and Lauren, whose real name is Lauren in real life, they they made them look almost too hot and too cool, right? Um, which I didn't want, because they they were already really good looking girls, so they could have made them look a bit like shit. Yeah. Um, but you never know what orders are coming from <laughs> on high. Make the mental patients look sexy. <laughs> sexy mental patients. Um. So let's move on to eight out of ten cats. Oh yeah, I watched it. Did you? Yeah. That was like two years ago. Well, I just found it on four, four on demand. Oh, yeah. Season... I actually found that link the other day because I wanted to send it to promoters mm. and I couldn't find it anywhere yeah. before. So what what was that experience like and has it helped since doing that? It helps a lot, but I never... Um, uh, well, I wouldn't have said this before I was on Cats because it would just sound better. Uh, but I never had any interest in panel shows. Yeah. I never watched panel shows. I still don't watch them. <clears throat> um, I, I don't find them funny. Uh, and then when I went with my agent, he was like, would you ever audition for a panel show? And I was like, I don't think they would want me, to be honest. And he was like, well, just audition for it. You get like £70 for the audition and they'll pay your train down. So I was like, right i'll do it then (laughs) and then you get sent loads of stuff to write you get sent loads of topics to write about for the audition um and at the time i was working as a support worker in a hostel for um people that had just got out of jail Mm. so i was doing the night shift so i just wrote all the stuff for that on my night shift and i quite enjoyed writing for it more than i just because it's different from doing stand-up. So I went down to the audition and all the other acts that were auditioning were like, like one of them was some Australian guy that had just been nominated at the Fringe and then the others were like Avalon acts off the curb acts. Like people who who were like cool people and do you know what I mean? And I I just was like, I so obviously shouldn't be here. And then... um, one of the other comedians was talking about, oh, last time I auditioned for this, so-and-so was in, and 
he saw me and I was like, who's that? And they were like, uh, the head of the channel. So I just felt like this fucking moron <laughs> that didn't know anything and shouldn't That's be there. I feel like every day. Yeah, so I just went into the audition feeling like a fucking idiot and like yeah. I shouldn't be there. And I was like, I'm just, I just was determined to like ruin the audition. So I was supposed to write jokes about um, some footballer getting paid a lot. Um, and instead I went off on a tangent about when I got paid this amount of money, it was when I was a stripper <laughs> and I'd done a lap dance for uh, Colonel Gaddafi's nephew. Right. Um, so basically that was how I got on Cats was everyone found this so funny yeah. because they thought I was making stuff up. Like, why would I make that up? Because <laughs> uh, it does sound a bit made up. Well, it's, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> like, I barely even know who Colonel Gaddafi is. Yeah. I just, his nephew and his friends came in to the club I worked in. Anyway, so um, so then I got a second audition. Um, The second one, they were like, oh, Jimmy Carr's going to be at this one. So uh, a lot of people get freaked out by that. And I didn't want to be like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> right? don't, I've met him since then. He's a really nice man. Yep. But I <clears throat> couldn't give a shit. It didn't make me nervous. I was more starstruck that James A. Caster was there. Oh, okay, yeah. And then the second audition, James A. Caster was so funny that it was hard to like remember to get my lines out because yep. I was laughing so much. So after the second audition... These the bosses at Endemol or their Patron were like saying, Oh, Fern was the best out of the twenty six people that we had to audition and they basically built me up and built me up saying I was gonna get on and then they put Ashling B on instead. Cause they put on one new comic but to be fair, she had just one best newcomer. Right. And she's like really good. <laughs> <laughs> But at the time, I was like, oh, okay. Um, so then this sort of farcical thing went on for months where they would say, oh, we're going to put her on in the next series. And then they wouldn't. And then this fucking woman phoned me up and went on and on and on about, oh, you're so good. One day we'll put you on. And I said to her, like, would it help if I lost a couple of stone and got a nose job? She was like, <laughs> that's what we love about you, Fern. You're so funny. <laughs> and I was thinking, no, be honest. Like, yeah. I need to lose weight. <laughs> so then um, I, I became really obsessed with going to the gym and losing loads of weight. And then I got told, you're not going to be on cats. <sighs> so I just, at this point, I'd got commissioned to do rages, so I just sat in the house in my pyjamas for a few months writing and just eating like a pig. Then I got a phone call one day saying, oh, Adam Hills is he's sick, can you go on cats tomorrow? And at this point, I was fat as anything. Right. Uh, but it was good money, and I thought, well, I might never get to go on again. So that's how I got on cats. <laughs> you look good on it. Well, if it if I seemed rusty, I did get get. Usually, you get given three days, and I got given twenty four uh, hours notice to write and memorize <laughs> all my topics, yeah. get a haircut, fucking decide what to wear, 
and then go on looking like a pig in a dress. <laughs> and they really pressured me to wear a dress, or my agent did. And I really wish I'd just worn a jumper yeah. and jeans. Because my best friend was like, why are you clapping in an awkward way? And I was like, so that my arm fat doesn't move. <laughs> so I was so self-conscious about how I looked. And ever since then, when I've went on telly, I've not listened to what they tell me to wear. No. Like I done Russell Howard's thing the other week. And mm. to be fair, they were they were sound. They don't care what you're wearing. But when I did Sean Walsh's thing, they tried to get me to wear a dress. And I just wore a jumper and jeans. Yeah, that was a good set. I like that. Yeah, because yeah. I wasn't uncomfortable. Yes. Um, it seems weird. Everyone knows about uh, telling people what to do and what not to do, and they're still doing it. Oh, she's yeah. got to look like this on telly. The only I'm, the only reason I'm being really honest about it on here is because I really wish someone had told me I couldn't find anything online or find out anything before I went on yeah. about what happens at these things. And how much fannying about there is. Maybe for the other comedians, there isn't any fannying about with panel shows. But yeah. like I've since had to audit, I've auditioned for every panel show that there is, apart from Mock the Week. And um, like, even if you, you can do well on these things, yeah, you can have an amazing audition and you won't get on. Or you can have a shite audition and you will get yeah. on. There's no rhyme or reason to it. I saw a really good inspirational thing from Brian Cranston. He was, he was at some drinks thing and someone was just talking to him on camera and he, they asked him what his advice for auditions was. And he basically says, you go there, you do your thing. Yeah. And then you walk away. Yeah. And then you don't think about it again. Yeah. Which I thought was that's pretty good advice because you can't control it. Yeah. Well, that um, my cat's audition was good because I didn't give a shit and yep. I just thought it was so unlikely that I would get it. Yeah. But then also at the time, I didn't know how much you get paid to go on these things. <laughs> so then after that, every audition I had, I was like, oh, this is going to be so much money. Yeah. And then I would just be too self-conscious or I would try and recreate the not giving a shit attitude. You can't recreate it, can you? No, you it's can't. It's so difficult. But I know someone that writes for eight out of ten cats. Um, he just, you know, James Farmer. He does stand up as well. He's, I think so. He's gone back to doing stand up a no. bit. He said the best advice he can give is just to have a very defined persona. Yeah. But when I mean when I went on cats, I just don't feel I was the most myself because <clears throat> they get a writer to spend all day with you and you've got the staff writer in your ear trying to get you to say their lines yeah but then the biggest laugh i got was when i said something about being having bread a loaf of bread in my bed when i shagged someone or something <laughs> and people were like quoting that yeah so they should just fucking let you be yourself yeah. but the whole point of panel shows is to make everything look like spontaneous banter yeah but they control everything to such an extent that that doesn't happen was um because i've listened to stew's podcast with jimmy carr and he comes across as a really nice guy and he was talking he was about panel so shows nice. yeah and give and making sure that everyone gets a turn he was so nice because he was i could what i was watching him talk obviously i don't see the whole recording so i don't know what they've cut yeah. out but he was saying what do you think of that what do you think of that yeah is that is that pretty so good nice. you? yeah Honestly, man, like, I'm not the type of comedian to say stuff to be diplomatic. Yeah. I, I kind of find it disgusting. Um, 
Jimmy Carr came to my dressing room before we filmed it and was like, just, um, I just want you to know I'm going to make sure I keep coming back to you and including you. And I noticed um, when Bobby Mayer went on it as well, he made sure to do it with Bobby. Yeah. Because otherwise Sean Locke will just talk over you and fucking ruin it for yeah. you. It's just because it's, it's what they've been doing, isn't it, for ages? Yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, Jimmy Carr was the soundest person on that. But after I was on that, they again just bullshitted me and made out they were going to have me on again. And that wasn't true. And uh, I just don't know why they lead you on like that. It's weird, isn't it? So how has it affected your... um? Like your bread and butter stand up, doing your weekends and all that sort of stuff. Has it made it easier to get? Did you get better gigs, quote yeah. unquote, afterwards? Yeah, there's a promoter who, when I was at my really lowest point on the doll, I did two unpaid tryouts, 20 minute tryouts 20 minutes. for him. And then uh emailed him asking for paid gigs, and he was like, How dare you think that you're good enough to do? Um, my gigs um, just sent this really nasty email the second I was on Cats he books me to do a gig for him in Hull and I died <laughs> <laughs> you're probably going to die before me because you're obese <laughs> he won't listen to this it's fine the views of the comedians on this podcast are not shared by the host <laughs> <laughs> so yeah he started booking me I won't name all the other promoters that suddenly immediately started booking me yeah but uh doing one episode eight out of ten cats has a tremendous effect and um i done russell howard's thing the other week there and i haven't officially i don't know if i'm getting kept in it yet but if i do i'm holding back on emailing a lot of promoters before that comes out yeah because it does just make such a difference and it really shouldn't be that way in comedy that tv credits are the be all weird, and end all. yeah because it should be you on stage is your um currency really isn't it Not yeah on a tv show yeah because i mean all my favorite comedians are like sort of old men of the circuit like dave jones and gavin webster and kerry marks and oh but that's not insulting but i mean older men yeah. Who don't really get a look in in TV and Gary Little, I like him a lot as well. But um, in terms of doing weekend club gigs, mm. though, I've done a lot less since um, leaving my live booker and agent because uh, I'm so crap at booking my diary. But also after the Fringe last year, I decided I wanted to focus on doing good Fringe shows. Yeah, and it's harder to be a club comic then. I feel like you have to change modes. I'd like to be both. Yeah. But I don't feel able to do both. I'd like to do either. That would be fine for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, How often do you see you get? Um, a couple of times a week. Try and double up. Oh, right. I thought you said a couple of times a month. <laughs> no, no, no. no. It's got to, if you do it a couple of times a month, you may as well not do it. Uh, that's a lot of people in Scotland do that or like a gig quarterly yeah. <laughs> and they're like oh, why am I not getting anywhere <laughs> I'm doing a Star Wars themed gig tonight really yeah. is that for Laugh Out London no no it's um, a little gig down in Turnham Green which is why I'm wearing this rather fetching uh, <laughs> Star Wars t-shirt 
Oh, I've never seen Star Wars. I feel like a pariah. Yes, it's all right. Um, I'm just gonna just change keywords in the current set to Star Wars theme keywords, and then just see how that works. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm from Star Wars. And <laughs> I'm from it. Tatooine. Uh, I was gonna try and get a gig tonight, but I don't know where to go. Where's a good place to go on a Tuesday? Yeah, I usually do the Harrison and King's Cross. So you're you're the gigs you're doing are a level above what I do. So uh, no, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> The Harrison's a good gig. I've but never even heard of the Harrison. Which one's it's, that? It's um, in King's Cross. My friend John's it. Yeah. Um, it's called Schadenfreude Cabaret. Yeah. But um, is that the one where they've got a black poster with lots of squares of the people on it? Uh, I'm not sure. I saw one poster review on it when it was that. I can't remember what it was. Maybe. Oh, no, are you thinking of Comedy Cirque? Yeah, Cabaret yeah, Cirque, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I've, I basically, I've been really crap at finding... I think if I was single, I would have gone out and found more new material ah, nights okay. when I moved here. Yeah. But I just didn't. And because and I didn't start on this circuit... Basically, I don't do enough open mic nights yeah. or new material nights. Um, but then the ones I'm doing aren't, probably aren't worth it for you because there's not enough audience. Oh, right. Well, it's more what gigs are a good gauge of new material that works. And I find the one I do in King's Cross is a good gauge. Mm. Is that one tonight? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if it is. I can't remember if it's every other week. <laughs> I'm so disorganized. <laughs> uh, but like two of my friends... Um, Eleanor Tiernan and Johnny Pelham they just moved to London a few months ago and both of them were out finding out all the new gigs Yeah. whereas I just never did that ah. so I'm quite annoyed at how lazy I am like when you listen to Stuart Goldsmith's podcast the Sarah Pascoe one she was like oh I gig every night oh, I was thinking I should be more hard working <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I should be doing as well yeah I can't like... really complain about anything in comedy until I'm gigging every night of the yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, one last thing to ask is, where do you see yourself in, say, five years' time? Um, Hopefully I'll be less rubbish at comedy and I will have more money. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm still... I'd say I'm still, like, pretty poor a lot of the time. Um, Me too. Yeah. Um... I don't think I'll have a mortgage and fight. Well, uh, oh yeah, maybe through my boyfriend <laughs> we can get a house together. <laughs> but yeah, I just want to be better at comedy, which sounds really earnest. Well, no, that's what everyone should be aiming for. Yeah. yeah. Oh, also globally famous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming in. Thanks, James. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Well, thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you want to listen to some more podcasts that I do, go and check out my website, jamesquintin.co.uk forward slash podcasts, or come and see me do some stand-up. That would be nice. There should be a gig list on the website as well. Thanks.